Joining us now in our studios is uh, the chair of the uh, Poli-Sci uh, Division at St. Olaf College. We have uh, Christopher Chap joining us to talk a little bit about the uh, summit. Christopher, first of all, thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jeff. We've had, uh, as far as uh, the political realm, it's been a very interesting week, of course, with uh, the summit going on between uh, Putin and uh, Biden yesterday, you know, the conversation. We've had uh, the NATO summit and such. Uh, so we invited you in to talk a little bit about that. I guess we can start off by talking about uh, Putin and Biden. It, a lot of interesting storylines leading into that and really probably coming out of it as well. Yeah, a lot of drama and, and even, you know, name calling and, and, and the history between these two. Um, but look, I think, I mean, uh, Biden, I think, set the bar pretty low for what a successful summit would would look like. Uh, but he crossed that low bar. So um, and, and there were a few, you know, substantive things that came out of uh, out of the summit, um, small things, but but steps in in in, a, in the right direction. So, for example, uh, allowing ambassadors into each other's capitals. Um, and there was also I read this morning, uh, Biden and Putin released a joint statement um, that is sort of, you know, agreeing to um, move the ball down the field together uh, as far as a new nuclear agreement. So there were there were some some substantive things that came out of this. There were some points of agreement, but there were also some big differences. You know, for example, uh, Putin still refuses to acknowledge that Russia had any role in the cyber attacks that we've seen, these ransomware attacks that have been escalating uh, over the last couple of weeks. So... You know, and there are other human rights things uh, involved, like uh, poisoning people, your political rivals, and imprisoning them. Uh, those things just don't seem to affect Putin at all. No, nothing seems to affect Putin, actually. I mean, you know, including imposing sanctions uh, mm -hmm. for election interference. Putin seems to be, uh, you know, content to, to do what he's going to do. But he, you know, rhetorically, when he's asked about this, he does sort of this Putin pivot where he will... Um, you know, we'll bring up, you know, poisoning political rivals and or imprisoning political rivals. And, and he'll bring up the murder of George Floyd, uh, and, which are, you know, qualitatively very different things. Um, but but Putin sort of, you know, draws that false analogy and then moves on. That's sort of his strategy. The dynamic between uh, the meeting of the two leaders. Can you can you talk about that as compared to when President Trump uh, met with uh, Vladimir Putin, at, you know, and decided not to have anyone else in the room. Uh, they came out and uh, he threw the U.S. intelligence uh, community under the bus in favor of Putin. A lot different scenario this time. Yeah, there, there's clearly more tension. Um, Putin and Trump had more of a personal rapport. Um, you know, that's not to say that, you know, Trump doesn't represent the entire U.S. government. I mean, still, you know, Congress uh, and, and parts of the State Department, um, were, there was still a lot of tension that existed um, during the Trump administration. But, but clearly, uh, Trump and Putin had this personal rapport, uh, and, and Biden has a much different posture. Yeah. Now, do you foresee them, those two leaders, meeting again at some point during uh, Biden's administration? I do. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, there, there's substantive things that, that need to be worked on. Um, a, a, a new nuclear treaty, um, the, the, uh, the, start, the new START treaty will expire in 2026. So, so there needs to be diplomacy that's, that's moving toward extending some of those things. Um, you know, I, I think wait and see, though, uh, is, is maybe a, a more accurate answer. Mm -hmm. um, Biden, for example, put a hard line down. 
uh, as far as our, if, if there are more um, cyber attacks on critical infrastructure, you named you know different in infrastructure domains that are that are sort of off limits. Um, and we'll see what happens if if uh, if the ransomware attacks continue, um, that could really make relations icy, and you might see some sort of U.S. response. Mm-hmm. So so that would certainly put an end to to productive talks. <laughs> let's let's talk about the rest of his trip. Uh, Biden met a lot of people uh, while he was in the just the few days he was over in Europe from England. He had, of course, the NATO summit. Uh, the rest of his trip, what were the highlights uh, for you and, and the implications on U.S. policy? Yeah, I mean, the, the two big ones that stand out for me um, are, are the G7 and the NATO summit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the G7, uh, um, Really, Biden's message there was uh, there needs to be a united front against China, um, and and Biden is concerned about sort of growing Chinese influence, economic influence, and so forth. Um, looking at responses from other uh, world leaders, um, uh, they've been much more delicate and much more careful. Um, so I looked at. Um, Merkel uh, of Germany, um, Chancellor Merkel's response, and she was very, very cautious about not alienating China with her remarks. Um, she didn't have the same sort of "we need to get tough" kind of stance. Um, so, so uh, that being said, um, I think on the balance, you know, the G7 meeting was um, a positive thing. World leaders remarked that Biden was sort of a, a breath of fresh air, um, uh, and they sort of appreciated his interpersonal style, uh, certainly. Um, a lot more than the previous presidents. All right. Let's talk about the uh, NATO summit. Sure. Uh, I mean, the, the main thing there was, I, I think it was sort of a, a preamble for his meeting with Putin. Um, and so it was really a matter of, um, you know, uh, making sure that we're, we're going to present a unified front um, against NATO. Biden reaffirmed what's called the Collective Defense Clause, um, which is part of the NATO Charter, that basically says that if one member state is attacked, um, that uh, that it's like an attack on, on all member states. And so, um, so Biden reaffirmed that. I think it was probably, you know, Biden and his foreign policy team had this very carefully orchestrated going in. So you had the NATO summit first, you had this sort of united front, and then you segue into this meeting with Putin, or with, with, uh, with Vladimir Putin. Uh, even the optics of it, Putin arrives first, has to wait on Biden to arrive. So it was a very, very carefully planned and carefully uh, orchestrated um, piece of uh, international diplomacy, mm. even if the bar was set pretty low, as I said. Now, uh, before that meeting, was Putin doing the same thing as Biden? Was he uh, uh, addressing some of his allies, talking with different organizations? Uh, what did he do leading up to that? Well, I mean, he he did some media and mm-hmm. some interviews, in, including um, interviews with uh, with with um, U.S. media. Uh, but but again, keep in mind, you know. Putin is in a very, very different domestic situation. Um, he's an autocrat, uh, and so uh, Russian state TV is going to, um, you know, be be pretty compliant with with whatever he he says. So, so he's in a very, very different position uh, as far as how he responds to the press and how he addresses his country than Biden is. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as far as uh, China goes, you you'd mentioned that uh, Ang- Angela Merkel had a uh, somewhat. Uh, uh, 
bridled response. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. how I read it. Yes, yeah. is, is a more cautious approach. Europe it has a different relationship, I guess, the, with uh, China than than the U.S. does. They, they have, there's more partnership, I guess, a lot of trade going on. But do you know? I mean, we, China has been accused by America of uh, stealing our, our trade secrets. You know, uh, hacking into companies' computers and just stealing intellectual information. Has there been much of that with Europe? Have there been accusations uh, from the Europeans to? Uh, uh, to the Chinese? Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I think Europe is, is con- concerned mm-hmm. uh, about this. Um, but look, this is, this is one area where, you know, in, in so many ways, I think, you know, between the Biden and Trump administration, you see just a, a dramatic reversal in policy. Um, and this is one area where, you know, Biden is, I, I think, going to continue, su- you know, it's not a dramatic reversal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the administration is also clearly concerned um, about Chinese sort of economic influence, like you said, stealing of trade secrets and so forth. And so, so you're going to see some continuation there. All right. Let's turn it back, uh, bring it on back home. Biden is arriving home uh, today or did yesterday. I'm not really sure, but he's got his own domestic agenda here in the United States. Uh, he's been in office for now, what, five months or so mm-hmm. thereabouts. So we're coming up to about a half a year. Uh, how is he going as far as his initiatives and what did he want, what he wanted to accomplish? Well, he started off strong, mm-hmm. um, and 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 let's keep in mind there's some things that he can do without the authorization of Congress, uh, and there's some you know executive actions and so forth, and there's some things that you need an actual bill to be passed, um, and that's really where he's at right now. They passed one bill through a process called reconciliation, where in the Senate you don't need 60 votes, you only need a, a pure majority, and so that was the the COVID uh, relief bill that got passed. And now he's in a position, though, where he's needing to work across the aisle, and he's he's encountering problems within his own party. You've got folks like Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who seems to really be setting the terms um, in many ways for the the Democratic Party agenda moving forward. Uh, and and Joe Manchin is in the same party as Bernie Sanders, uh, who has a very very different <laughs> set of priorities. Uh, so. Um, so Biden is is in that position right now where he's trying to bring those sides together and hopefully get some Republicans on board. Um, he'd like to get an infrastructure bill passed. He'd like to get um, uh, some set of uh, sweeping election reforms passed. Um, and, and, and there's some movement in the Senate. Uh, on this, but it's going to be it's going to be a real challenge moving forward. Looking at the Republican Party, uh, lost the election. They uh, lost a couple of the, the Senate seats as well. So it's. It, I can't really. I, where are they going to go in the next six months? You know, are, is it going to be a, the party of Trump still? Is it now still the party of Trump? Are there going to be more moderates come forward? Do we have uh, where? Where's the leadership? I guess in the Republican Party at this point. I, I think Trump is is still the de facto leader of the Republican Party. I mean, mm-hmm. whether that state. I mean, and and you, clearly uh, there's some folks out there like Liz Cheney, like Mitt Romney, um, who have broken with with Trump in a, in a very clear and distinct way and would like to kind of have that moderate mantle moving forward. Um, you know, but now, now that Liz Cheney did that, she's facing some serious primary challenges within her own state. So, Mm -hmm. so it'll be really, really interesting to see not only what happens with primary elections, what happens with the 2022 midterms. And I expect that that's going to really sort of set the agenda for the party. The party's going to, the Republican party is going to read the tea leaves coming out of 2022 and decide what sort of direction it takes. Mm -hmm. But, but but compromise is, is going to be increasingly hard to come by, at least in the in the short term. The yeah. parties are really polarized, and and I would still say Trump's the de facto 
party leader for the Republicans. All right. Looking at the second half of uh, 2021, uh, is it going to be just kind of a continuation of the first half? uh, Or will the Biden administration, you know, once they got the initial things done that they wanted to get done, uh, is is it just moving on with the same business? Or are there any uh, clear objectives they'd like to finish by the end of the year? They want to get an infrastructure bill passed for sure. Okay. Uh, And 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 they have some power to move forward with that with another reconciliation process. Um, and so uh, I expect that will happen. I mean, I, what I'm really curious to see is what what that bill is going to look like uh, in terms of the total price tag. In terms of Biden has a more a broader understanding of infrastructure. It includes things like you know um, senior care workers and things like that. Then then. Uh, do a lot of folks in the Republican Party, right, who, who want to keep infrastructure, the definition of infrastructure related to, like, roads and bridges, like physical infrastructure. And so it'll be really interesting to see um, what that final package looks like. I think it'll tell you a lot about the state of the Democratic Party uh, and where the power is. So, um, so I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, and then, of course, there's things that Biden can do just from an administrative standpoint. They don't want another... Um, you know, huge uh, flare-up of, um, you know, a, a backlog, should we say, um, of um, migrants, especially unaccompanied minors at the border. Right? That caused a huge political problem for them. I mean, it's obviously a problem for, for those for those kids, too, but, but it caused a political problem for Biden. The optics were not good. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how they handle some of those things administratively. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one of the things that I guess kind of concerns me, just as your average citizen who doesn't understand the large numbers that we're talking about here, but, you know, a couple of trillion dollars in a stimulus package last year. We've got COVID relief, a couple of trillion. We've got, uh, there's another one trillion uh, dollars that we're, we're giving out uh, for uh, uh, stimulus and, and relief and, and such. Uh, and now we've got this, what's going to be a huge infrastructure bill as well. Do we have the money to pay for all of that? Is there concern within certain areas of Washington that, hey, we might be spending more than we need to? Yeah, let me, that's an awesome question let me try to answer it in a couple of different ways okay um uh one way i mean the 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 cynical side of me wants to say that uh folks are always concerned about debt when they're debt and deficit when they're not in power Mm -hmm. right so so during the trump administration there were huge tax cuts passed that weren't paid for um now we're getting a covid relief bill and potentially an infrastructure bill that are adding to debt and deficit so it's sort of the you know parties will use debt as a way to fund their priorities now Biden's initial pass um, at an infrastructure bill included things like tax increases on very, very high in, in, uh, income earners. So we're talking about folks that make over $400,000 a year, uh, like you, Jeff. So, we're, so, uh, so, so, so the initial pass yeah. uh, uh, at, this, at this bill included um, paying for some of it, right? Now, that's a really unpopular idea, um, obviously, particularly among Republicans. And so if you want to get the infrastructure bill passed with less debt and deficit, you're going to lose that bipartisanship. Uh, and so, so that's sort of the, the situation that I think Democrats find themselves in is, do we try to you know, pay for this stuff? The, the final thing that I would, I would say about that is it's not necessarily clear that having a – we've got a huge GDP, Mm-hmm. And so economists will argue all the time about your GDP to debt ratio um, and whether or not that's so large that it ends up hurting economic growth. Um, and my understanding is we're not quite there yet. Um, we can still 
given the size of our economy, we can still handle more debt and deficit. All right. Well, we'll see how much debt and deficit we yeah. get. We are out of time. Thank you so much for coming in today, though. It's been a lively conversation. I really uh, enjoyed uh, your insight on this and help us uh, understand, I guess, a little bit more what's going on in the, the larger scheme of things. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Uh, once again, Christopher Chap, who is the chair of the St. Olaf Poli Sci Department.